so you're going to be hearing from Bob again uh, later on in the summer, the beginning of July, when our uh, youth camp and children's camp uh, hit, and I'm going to be leading those. But um, on the mornings that I am here through the summer, I, I want to begin today uh, a series, uh, a series of sermons. So when you hear from me this summer, we're going to be talking about all summer long a topic that um, is probably one of the most talked about things within the church, but I also fear it can also be one of the most misunderstood things about church and about our faith, and that is worship. And we're going to call this series Vertical. Um, When we think about what we do as a church family, when we gather into this place every week, one of the first things that we probably think of is worship. We say we're coming to worship. We are gathering for worship, and we listen to music here, and um, here and outside of our church on a weekly basis, and we, and we label it. We call it worship music, and let me just say, um, if, if you don't get around very much, you don't know this, but we have some of the best worship music around this place, I'm just saying. Uh, we really, really do. We have, I, I would put these guys up against anybody I've ever seen um, as far as choir. And Dan does an incredible job of planning our services. And, and we have, and, and music is something that we often associate with worship, and it's a big part of worship. But we attach that word worship to lots of things that we do and lots of things that we use, like music. But I'm afraid that too often we, we attach the word worship to things and we really don't have a deep understanding of what that word really means. And so we're going to spend the next several weeks, I can't tell you how many weeks, how long this series is going to be because I haven't figured it out yet. But we're going to let, we're going to let God and the Holy Spirit uh, lead us as we continue to learn and walk into this because it's something that's very, very important. If it's such a big part of what we do when we gather together, we need to have a proper, deep, biblical understanding of what worship is. And so, um, and like I said, music is probably, when, when you hear the word worship, the first thing that comes to your mind is probably something musical. Um, and when it comes to music in the church, there are probably few other things that have been talked about more. In fact, Uh, Over the past several years, you may not be aware, but there is a term within church leadership and uh, and among pastors and worship leaders, the term called worship wars. And I don't know if you've heard the term worship wars, but the term worship wars actually describes the discussion that has been going on in churches for several years about the argument over musical preference, over what kind of music should the church use to worship? Should it be uh, modern, new worship music? Should it be hymns? Should it be traditional gospel? What style of worship, what style of musical worship is, is best? And uh, in some churches, it becomes a literal fight. It becomes a battle. And the reason that I want to do this series is because worship is one of the primary things that we do together when we gather. So we have to have 
a proper understanding first of what worship really is and then I also want us to experience what worship is not because I'm afraid too often we associate things or ascribe things to be worship that really are not worship and the things that are worship we don't focus on so we want to make sure that we build an understanding that's based on what scripture teaches us regardless of what our preference is because worship and preference are very much two different things and I want us to experience and understand that through the scriptures so for a few minutes this morning I want today to be kind of an introduction into this topic of worship, and we want to look into God's Word. And what I want to do this morning, my primary goal, is to give you a definition of worship that we are going to use as a foundation for everything that we talk about from this point forward. So if we're going to talk about worship, we need to come up with a good definition. And we're going to look at two primary texts this morning. To come up with that definition. But before we go to God's word for the definition. I want us to start out with just our, our regular definition. And we're going to go to Webster's Dictionary. Let me show you one of the definitions that Webster gives for the term worship. We're going to look in Matthew. We're going to look in Colossians today. But here's, here's one of Webster's definitions for worship. Worship is an extravagant respect or admiration for or devotion to an object of esteem. That sounds about right, doesn't it? Now, in the context of biblical worship, we have to understand that that Webster's definition says that it's extravagant respect or admiration for or devotion to an object of esteem. Now, when we come into this place, the object of our esteem is who? It's it's God, right, it's God, it's Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit, it's the Trinity. Because if it's not, we've created idolatry. And the first two commandments that the Lord gave Moses on Mount Sinai are broken. You should worship me only, have no other gods before me, and you won't worship idols. Worship is not a word that is only used in the context of religion or faith. We can worship a lot of things. We can have that high regard and esteem for lots of different things. Extravagant respect, admiration for, or devotion to. That can be lots and lots of things. Some, of us, some people worship their jobs. Some people worship money. Some worship fame, popularity. Others worship relationships with people, romantic relationships. Others, material things. And even others, celebrities. I saw saw a video this week of a montage of footage from the career of Michael Jackson and I don't know if you've ever done this but you can go on YouTube and you can you can search for Michael Jackson fans and folks there probably there may not be 
any, uh, another musician, maybe the Beatles. But Michael Jackson, folks, people worshipped Michael Jackson. If you see the footage of that, you talk about admiration for, devotion to, extravagant respect for. That, that guy was worshipped. Brilliant musician, I will say. I think his personal life, he, he had lots and lots of problems and issues. But as far as a musician goes, and I love music, the man was a genius, brilliant musician and songwriter. But he was worshipped by his fans. You can find footage of men and women both literally sobbing in his presence. So overwhelmed with emotion, uh, passing out, having to be carried out of arenas because just the sight and being in his presence was so overwhelming to them because their respect and their admiration for him was so huge. So worship is not just something that we ascribe to the Lord. Sometimes if we're not careful, we can worship the created rather than the creator. And this is what we don't want to do. So this definition says that the object of our worship is an object of esteem. It's an object of esteem. So it's easy to make the connection that we only worship things that we really, really love. Right? If there's something that you have a, a high regard for or esteem, it's something that you love. And if you're going to come close to showing worship towards something, it's going to be something that you love. So now, understanding that definition, I want us to go to the Scriptures, and I want you to find Matthew 22, verse 37, a familiar passage of Scripture that all of us know, but we're going to apply it to, to how we build this definition of worship that we're going to go with. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. Jesus has asked the question, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And this was his reply, the half of his reply. Verse 37, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Now, this is a familiar text. Again, Jesus has asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus' whole answer can be summed up in four words. Love God and love people. And he said all of the prophets, all of the law and the prophets hinge on those two things. To love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So since we're talking about worship, and it's clear that the act of worship in and of itself does not make it something that honors the Lord. As we've said before, we can worship anything. It's the object of our worship that determines its value in our faith and determines its role in our relationship with the Lord. We can worship things that drag us away from God. And so the object of our worship is the key. Jesus says that it's essential for us to love God. The greatest commandment, to love God with all our heart, our soul, in our minds. So since we only worship the things that we love, we can worship, we can say that worship is one of the ways that we fulfill 
this greatest commandment that Jesus had. Now, it's not the only way, but it's one of the ways that we fulfill that commandment. When Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, one of the ways that we love God in this way is through our worship, that we take that esteem and that respect and we give it to him. So Jesus, if, if we're going to apply one of the ways Jesus says, love the Lord your God, one of the ways that we love the Lord is through our worship. So now I want us to look at how Jesus says we are to love God. He doesn't just say, love God, and that's it. He gives us instructions on how do we love God. How do we do that? And he says we use our heart and our soul and we use our mind. And these three aren't meant to be separate compartments of, of our love for God. It's not that sometimes we love God with our heart and then other times we love God with our soul and other times we love God with our mind. No, it, it's meant to be a, a collaborative collective of all of those things. Basically what Jesus is saying here is love God with everything that's in you. There's nothing that's left out. Your heart and your soul and your mind, that, that is everything. But each one of these are distinct in helping us understand how we love God. When Jesus is speaking here, the word heart, when he says love God with all your heart, that word describes the core of our being. When he says love the Lord with your heart, that means it's the core of who you are. Okay? With all your heart, with, with your identity, with who you are. Second, with your soul, that word is closest to the word that we would use for emotion. With all of our affection and emotion. Um, Actually, when we read the scriptures, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he went to the cross, and he's praying to the Father, and he says, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. It's the same word. It's, it's the emotions. It's the, um, it's the seed of our emotions as a person. So our heart, our soul, and then he says to love God with your mind. We are to love God with our intellect. It is a, a willful determination to follow. It's that we love God not on accident, but on purpose. And that we engage our minds in it. It's not just a, a mindless act of emotion. So, if Jesus says that our heart and soul and our mind are what we engage in our acts of love for him, and our worship is reserved for things that we love, then we can then conclude that these same things are what God wants us to engage when we worship Him. When we express worship to God, He wants us to worship with our heart and our soul, and then to worship also with our minds. Now I want you to flip over to Colossians 3. Colossians chapter 3 Verses 1 through 3, and we're going to find something very similar in this text. Colossians 3, verse 1 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, 
seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So in these three verses, Paul is giving instruction to the church, and he's using another since-then statement. I, we've, we've seen those before. Do you remember? Whenever, whenever Paul's writing and he says, since, this, 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 then, this. And so this is what he's doing now. He's saying that it, anytime he does that, there, that always indicates that he's teaching that there's to be a response to something that God has done on our part. So he says, since we have been raised with Christ, in verse 1, since we've been born again, since we've been saved, since we have been brought over from death to life by what Jesus did on the cross, then there is a response because of that. And this is what he says is the response. To set our hearts and minds on things above. Our hearts and our minds. The core of who we are should be grounded in kingdom truth. And our intellect... Our minds should be filled with kingdom truth. He says your hearts shouldn't be set on this world and the stuff that's here. Your heart, your heart and your soul, your emotion, what you love should be set on things of the kingdom. And your mind should be dwelling on things of the kingdom. It should be set on things above, not things here. Not temporary things, but eternal things. So based on what we see in both of these texts, among countless other scriptures that talk about the way we praise and worship God, I want to give you a definition of worship this morning that we, that we want to wrap our minds around, that we want to wrap our hearts around over these next several weeks as we continue to talk about this series on worship. And if you're going to write anything down, this is what I want you to write down because this is going to be the foundation of everything we talk about. Here's going to be our definition of worship. Worship is focusing our mind's attention and our heart's affection on God in response to who He is and what He's done. If you've never really wrapped your head around what is worship, this is it. Focusing your mind's attention, and your heart's affection on God in response to who He is and what He's done. These things, the mind's attention and the heart's affection, are the roots of real, biblical, Christ-centered worship. And it's essential that both of those parts be a part of of our worship of God and not just one or the other. This is where too often we miss true, real, genuine worship. Both of these components have to be present for us to really experience biblical worship. If we try to worship with one without the other, then we haven't experienced real worship. Worship that engages our mind but has no heart becomes cold and legalistic it's that kind of worship that is so intent on 
is so intellectual and so intent on doing the right things and saying the right things and reading the right things, there's no heart. And it becomes legalistic. It becomes a ritual. It becomes a, a liturgy of repetition. There's no connection to our heart and our soul. So to try to worship with only your mind is, 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 not, is not what God wants. But the flip side of the coin is this. It, worship that engages the affection of our heart but isn't mindful and intellectually engaging can become emotionally driven and based completely on feelings and warm fuzzies. And too often, this is the kind of worship that we would probably have a tendency to fall into more often than others. We can get so wrapped up in the way something makes us feel that if we're not engaging our minds and thinking about how we're worshiping, what we're saying as we worship, and we're not intellectually having our minds set on biblical truth, it becomes emotional. And these types of worship experiences can lead to emotionalism. And an emotional experience without mindful intellectual truth is very dangerous. And, it, and, I, and we believe, I believe it dishonors God. For us to just fall into an emotionally driven experience that we call worship. And we disregard the intellectual truth of who God is and what he's done. And we can very easily, if we get caught up in an emotional experience, we can very easily stray away, stray away from true, genuine worship because it becomes based on how we feel and not on who God is. We have to remain true and engaged in what the scriptures teach us. Real worship happens when we engage both our minds and our hearts together in a response to who God is and what he does. Worship is a response. But it is not a response to a worship leader. Worship is not that warm fuzzy you get because Chris Tomlin is leading worship. That's not worship. Worship is a response, but it's not a response to a pastor. Worship is not... Worship doesn't happen because Louis Giglio is preaching. Worship doesn't happen uh, because your favorite guy is on the platform. Worship doesn't happen because this choir is sitting up here. Worship doesn't happen because of Dan. It doesn't happen because of me. Uh, your worship is not a response to a song or an instrument or a building. Worship doesn't happen just because you come into this room. It doesn't happen just because we sing songs. It doesn't even happen just because you know the words to all the songs that we sing.
It's a response not to any of those things. It's not a response to a song and the way a song makes you feel. Because everybody has different songs that make you feel different. We can sing any particular song in here, and half of us will feel really caught up in it. And it will really lift our hearts. And the other half of us are going to go, when is this song going to be over? So worship can't be a response to any of those things because they're so inconsistent. The one thing that is true and consistent that our response has to be a response to is the goodness and greatness and sovereignty and power of God of the universe. That is what we respond to when we come to worship. So we have lots to say. We have lots to learn, and we're going to keep learning. But this morning, to get our minds wrapped around this definition of worship, worship is focusing our mind's attention and our heart's affection on God in response to who he is and what he's done. 